We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In this week's edition of the KC Laboratory, we are covering the final four unique opponents that the Chiefs will play this season. Will Matty pick somebody other than Travis Kelsey for his game MVPs for any of these? Tune in and find out. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. KC Laboratory, sponsored by Emprise Bank. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the KC Laboratory, sponsored by Emprise Bank. An Emprise Bank debit card is good anywhere in the country. You have access to 55,000 fee-free ATMs worldwide through the AllPoint ATM network. You get the same kind of access to your money at any bank across the country while getting the value of working with a trusted partner in Emprise. Emprise has been our trusted partner at KCSN. Emprise has been, you might say, our partner in possible Emprise Bank member FDIC. We are so appreciative of them. And as always, I am so appreciative of my good pal, Matthew Maddie Lane, joining me this week. Maddie, we are without Kent. So theoretically, we could just spend this entire time nerding out about defensive football and Wait a second. only defensive football. And, You're tempting me with a good time. We're not going to do it. We're, we're, uh, we're not going to do it. <laughs> oh, uh, you're tempting me with a real good time here. Uh, this is this is painful. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we kind of put ourselves, our backs up against the wall here. In order, we've been doing on the lab here a season preview for all the Chiefs games. And we have ran ourselves almost into the Chiefs' first preseason game, which is two Saturdays from when you're listening to this. So mm. we are running out of time to work our way through all the Chiefs' opponents for this upcoming season. So we're going with a, a rapid-fire episode today. We're previewing the final four teams Four of them on the Chiefs. So that's going to be the Cincinnati Bengals, the Denver Broncos, the Houston Texans, the C- and the Seattle Seahawks. Now, you may be saying, wait a second. It doesn't seem like you guys have done every game. That is true. We're not going to do the Broncos, the Raiders, and the Chargers game preview a second time, especially during the offseason. So we're leaving those out. So these are the final four unique teams that the Chiefs will play. And I think we're just going to try to churn and burn through them. However, there is one very important question that we have to get through. Who wins in a battle royale between three Bengals, nine Broncos? Mm. I, what's a Texan? Are we, is the Texan going to be a bull or is it going to be somebody from the state of Texas? Uh, ambiguous. Somebody from the Am, state nope, of Texas. Nope, ambiguous. Seven Texans <laughs> and uh, 50 Seahawks. 50, 500 Seahawks. You can pick however many you want. Oh, man. Man, see, I was gonna say the Bengal, but like, if we're talking about five hundred Seahawks, no, it's still the Bengal. The Bengals winning. 
See, and this is why I want to be ambiguous because, like, if if we're talking like uh, seven like bulls, I don't know. Seven bulls, I think, could take out yeah, three seven tigers. Seven bulls could get there. But I, are we just talking about Texan? And if it's a Texan, I mean, does he have a gun? Like, what is it? It's a Texan. It's like I don't know. They probably do, right? It's like how does that yeah. not factor? Like, you, you use your imagination, guys. Uh, you can send all of these to Craig on Twitter. Um, that's at Barley Hop. Tell him your <laughs> answer. You. Who wins this battle royale? Um, but we should get on with this now. Yeah, we we absolutely should. I love that that got added midway through our season previews, that that was a thing every single week. As long as we all agree, it's not the Seahawks. It doesn't matter. It could be millions of Seahawks. It's not the Seahawks. So I still have a bone to pick. Tucker's done pulls for all these, and the Bills one, I forget what they were up against, but the Bills, like a Buffalo, barely won. And like it, it's blowing my mind that people don't understand like how dominant Buffaloes are. Like there's a, a a buffalo mom protecting that her would, baby that would buffalo have been a from raider. like a It would have been against a raider. Like oh my on. god, yeah, and it was close. It was like 60-40, and it was even close <sighs> to fifty fifty. Like guys, the bill was gonna win. The bill's a lot higher up on the power ranks than people gave it credit for. So that upset sure. me to to my core. But we, we got to move on from this. This is a this is a more like a June podcast that's been roped <laughs> into the season preview segments here. All right, let's get on with it. We are talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. This is week 13, Chiefs at Bengals. Matty, I, I mean, we're just going to dive right into it. Cincinnati Bengals quality of roster. How do you feel about this? It's good. It's a, it's a very good roster. I don't know if I think it's as good of a roster as some of the teams the Chiefs face earlier in the year. I know they went to the Super Bowl, so it sounds kind of silly to say, but I think they have a good a very good even roster, but not a great roster. And I think that played out last year. That's how come every single playoff game they played last year, every single game they played against good teams became one score games that were decided in the final half of the fourth quarter. And they just played elite situational football, which is good. That doesn't take away from them as a team, but roster talent wise, they have some significant holes along the offensive line. I think their you know front seven has a good collection of players, but I don't know if they always play as this top end unit. Like I don't think it's a dominant unit anywhere there. And the secondary has again Jesse Bates, great player. Mike Hilton was really good for him last year, but I don't know if together they just make this dominant unit like we've seen out of some of the teams earlier. So good to very good roster. I just think their success came more on the back of elite situational football a good combination of coaching with the talent that they had and it kind of created a special season the Bengals having a big slide this year based on that talent based on some of the 50 50 natures of their games or plays or drives that they had i could definitely see them taking some serious regression and then all of a sudden even calling them a very good roster in terms of talent makes sense we forget this team i understand they lost a quarterback but two years ago this team was really bad like really, mm-hmm. really bad. So to call them, you know, a top, top end talented team after just one extra draft, that seems a bit rich to me. So, you know, like I said, I put them in the top 10 in terms of talent, but definitely not the top five. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Absolutely fully. I, I do like some of the moves that they made. I mean, Alex Kappa is a great ad. Lyle Collins is a great ad. I we I like their draft even. Like a lot of the moves that they made were were good quality solid moves i just look at that i look at it and i say yeah this is a clearly like a tier two roster in the nfl it's good enough to win a bunch of games it's good enough to win their division but i think what we saw last year was them um i I hate to even say the word overachieving because these guys i mean they put their players like we talked about it i'll say it last year i mean (laughs) we talked about it a lot last year they put these guys in the best spots to win like yeah jamar chase yeah you're throwing him you know kind of 50 50 balls you're asking him to go up and get it but you know with jamar chase it's like a 70 30 ball so like it it, we we look at it and we say oh well that's you know we'll see how sustainable that is it can be sustainable so i do see that a lot of members of this roster it's not necessarily an overachieving thing now there are definitely spots where they certainly overachieved. I'm not going to say that. Certainly, certainly, certainly. We'll get to some of those here in a little bit. But I, I do feel like the quality of the roster is good, but I don't know that it's good enough if they get into you know situations where their talent has to make up for you know some of the stuff against some of the AFC's top teams. Like I'm clearly taking the Bills over this team. I'm clearly taking the Chargers over this team. Hell, I might take the Chiefs over this team in terms of talent on this on this squad here. So I mean, there's some AFC teams in there that 
you're, you're looking at and you're going, you know what? They're, they're a rung down from those guys. So I, from that perspective, I mean, they didn't change much on the coaching staff. The coaching staff did a good job of you know maximizing that talent. They should have stuck with them, and they did. So we're going to move right past that on to new addition here. And I'm going to pick a guy. I know I mentioned two guys that they added on the offensive line. I'm going to pick a guy that I think is going to win a starting job. And Cordell Volson, um, I, listen, Jackson Carmen was drafted to this team. He played a little bit of tackle. They didn't really like what he brought there. So they moved him into left guard, and then they didn't trust him at all last season. When he played, frankly, he was bad. Currently, he's kind of projected to be that left guard. Cordell Volson was a guy we really liked. Like, we we love the way that he played. We love the technical ability we had. We even said that for that kind of guy, like, he's going to get on the field fast in an offense that's going to give him an opportunity to. And I think that this is a path for him. If they can get good, you know, quality, you know, average, even above average play out of Cordell, Cordell Volson, but even expecting average play out of Cordell Volson in year one, all of a sudden you got to really look at that offensive line and go, okay, they did a good job of remaking it. And there's a lot of good things about it. That was the thing that kind of was the impediment to the Bengals being uh, you know, really good. Really, nah, They were really good. They were in the Super Bowl. They were very close to winning the Super Bowl, but like consistently good was the amount of pressure that they allowed to Joe Burrow throughout the season. If you go in and you protect him just that much better, they could be a lot more dangerous than maybe even I think they can be. Do you think he's stealing a job from Jackson Carmen or Alex Kappa? Who, it can't be Alex Kappa because they just paid him a decent amount. You would yeah, no. He's pretty it's slated gotta be, in. It's got to be Carmen. It has okay. to be Carmen. Carmen looked bad last year. He did. He, did. he looked bad last year. He did. So, yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm going to stick on the offensive line because that was a big issue for them. So I will go with Lael Collins. Um, one of the better right tackles in the NFL, quite frankly, when he's healthy. It, he's a little bit of an interesting fit. I don't know if he is, his play style exactly matches what the Bengals usually like to do. He's a little bit uh, a little bit nastier, a little bit more nitty gritty, not as much. I, I guess the rest of the way their offensive line plays, he's a little bit more finesse. And maybe that's part of why Jackson Carmen looks so out of left field sometimes with them. That's not his game either. I don't know if the style is perfect, but at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter if there's a slight difference there. He's a very good right tackle. He's arguably just as good as Jonah Williams on the opposite side. So you get this massive improvement at the right tackle spot from what they were able to bring out there last year. And then, so you kind of have these two bookends to protect Joe Burrow a little bit more. Like they tried to improve some guys on the interior. Like I already mentioned Kappa, whether it's Jackson Carmen, full-time at guard Cordell Volson stepping in. They also brought in Ted Karras. Like, they revamped the four out of five positions potentially of this offensive line. We've seen another team do that recently and it worked out pretty darn well <laughs> for them. So that's the area to watch. I, I got to shout it out to Hayden Hurst stepping in for CJ Uzuma. Big deal. Like he's not going to put Big up crazy deal. stats one way or the other, but very good blocker, very helpful for their max protect stuff to have a tight end that can step in and actively get in front of a defensive end long enough to get this play off. I think Hayden Hurst can do all that same stuff. They're not going to ask him to be a stud. He's their fourth or fifth option on any given play. But as long as he can do that on third downs and then provide some pass pros, like I just mentioned like 18 new additions. So like those guys will also count as my players to watch. And then we'll just move on to Craig's player that he's excited to watch. Cause I kind of got entire offensive line plus tight end plus like 13 other guys. And and all of the weapons that they like, this offense has a chance to be ridiculously good. It really does. The the quality of those weapons is is super good. My player to watch is going to be Eli Apple. Um, Eli Apple's projected to start. Wait, no, on no, the outside watch, break. not read his tweets. <laughs> well, my player, I, I I don't really care about his tweets. He can tweet whatever the hell he wants. I, but I I look at this defense. I see a lot of guys, a lot of good young players. A guy, a lot of guys that are going to bring energy they're going to play together all this stuff you know they added daxton hill to this group they added you know cam taylor Britt to this group two guys that we were you know high on that we liked eli apple's probably going to be the starter opposite of jadobi awuzier and mike hilton jesse Bates in the backfield like eli apple could be a weak link in that secondary if he takes a step back and they can't afford for there to be a weak link in the secondary. I do think that a lot of what they're going to do is going to rely on 
that offense to score a lot of points and then pin their ear, ears back and rush the passer. We have seen that defense in Kansas City a lot. And we know you got a weak spot at corner that can be targeted over and over and over again. It makes it very difficult to hang on. It makes it very difficult to play in that strategy. And it makes it very difficult to you know play the kind of offense, play the kind of game that you want to play. The way that they started slow in a lot of games this past season, I, I, they can't afford to do that. And if Eli Apple is playing poorly, I think it just can shake what otherwise looks like a pretty well-rounded secondary that could be pretty good. So let's talk about how this team can beat the Chiefs. Maddie. how do you think, what, is, what do the Bengals have to do to beat the Chiefs? They did it twice last year, twice, and now they're playing a game at home. What do they have to do? We've seen it, right? I mean, they throw (laughs) YOLO balls up the sideline at pick any corner you want for the Chiefs right now, probably. Uh, Jamar Chase, maybe T. Higgins, some guys go make some plays. Joe Burrow escapes a little bit of pressure that comes his way. They move the ball down the field. Maybe it's sporadic. Maybe it's not consistent every single drive, but when they're picking them up in chunks and in spurts the way they were against the Chiefs in the past, there's no reason as of right this second to think they can't do it again. And then defensively, it's kind of the same thing. They seem to get a really good read on what the Chiefs were doing last year. It may have took them a half both times. Mm -hmm. It it maybe took them the first half of the game both times, but they had pretty good counter punches to a lot of what the Chiefs were doing. I do think the Chiefs play calling and some of their own mental errors on the field made it easier both times. So it's not like the the Bengals just completely stonewalled them not to take credit away from them, but you kind of got to hope the Chiefs slip up again. I think we saw it. when the Chiefs were clicking offensively last year, they had no problem picking apart this Bengals defense at all. And I don't think a lot, most good offenses didn't have too hard of a time picking apart the majority of this Bengals defense. It's just when the Bengals defense decided to make some changes that helped. And when offenses were making mistakes, this defense was very opportunistic. If that continues into this year, if the Chiefs are willing to kind of, you know, step on their own feet again, it could very well go the exact same way where the Bengals are going to put up a ton of points against them and do just enough defensively to hang on. I mean, yeah, that's you nail it. Do what they did last year. Uh, you know, if the Chiefs sleepwalk through a half, it's over. Like you can't, you can't sleepwalk against this team. They are explosive enough. They have enough talent on the squad. You're going to see this group of guys be able to put up points in a hurry if you're not playing a complete game. And the Chiefs didn't play a complete game in either one of those instances. Let down right before the half. Let down right before the end of the game in that first one. Then let down an entire second half in the second one. Like. We saw what can happen. You can't get complacent against this team. They can put up points in a hurry, even, and that goes not just for the players, but for the staff as well. Got to keep the pedal down. You got to keep doing what's working. If the run game is working, Andy, keep feeding the run game. Hey, Spags, the dime defense and that two robber, that shift that you're doing over and over again, guess what? It's not working. Like it, there's a lot of stuff you got to be more willing to adjust and more willing to keep doing what is working to try and make sure that everybody can finish this because this team will hang around. They, the one thing that they have over probably every other team in the AFC, they are freaking resilient and they are hard to kill. And so I think that that alone makes them a ridiculously touch ma- tough matchup at any point in the year because they're just going to be hard to make go away all season long. I'll start off with this one. The Chiefs, non-Mahomes MVP, I'm calling my shot here, is Chris Jones. You want to talk about a man who's amped up to play the Bengals again? I mean, they they went through and they they changed a lot of stuff on the offensive line. Um, they, they made a lot of adjustments to try and stop what Chris Jones would potentially be trying to do in this game from happening. Chris Jones has talked about this offseason, how much that missed sack on Joe Burrow has haunted him. He had the chance to end the game right then and there, and he was unable to do so. That is gnawing at him. He, if there's a team that he has circled on the calendar this year, it is this game and this team because he wants to get out there. He wants to show it again. And as we've seen, as we saw teams last year, you start hitting Joe Burrow, the eyes drop. All of a sudden, the YOLO balls stop going to Jamar Chase as far down the field. You stop getting as many explosive plays he has a chance to step in there and wreck the game here, and he can be that kind of difference maker in a game like this. 
as tempting as it is to say like one of the corners for stepping up or the offensive tackle for not allowing the, you know, untimely pressure from Hendrickson. I'm going to have to go with Travis Kelsey. Um, I, I know it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a shock here, but actually the Bengals did a pretty good job uh, defending Travis Kelsey last year. They kept him almost five yards below his season average for yards per target. Like when Kelsey got the ball, he got a lot of passes in that playoff game, but it was a lot of passes to get 95 yards. Yeah. He scored two touchdowns on him, but he essentially became a check down receiver against this defense because the Bengals did a good job taking away everything over the top. Kelsey was getting a lot of attention underneath. And do you think if the Chiefs are going to find four quarters of success against this team, whenever the Bengals start to make their adjustments, they are going to have to find a way to throw the ball to him, not five yards down the field over and over again. He's going to you know, put him in position to take advantage of a linebacker group that looks really good on paper, but when they get out there and start playing, I think they are average in coverage at best. Their safety room isn't as good. Von Bell, Jesse Bates are very good, but I don't think either guy particularly matches up with well with Kelsey. Like I think he's a bad matchup for them. The Chiefs just got to make sure they're finding a way to get him open and not just checking the ball down to him because really their offense does go through through Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. You want to beat a team that beat you twice the last year, you better find a way to get your second best player going. Absolutely. And that was, you know, this is like the last major, major game. We're going to talk about some of this, but this is the last one that like you feel like, okay, that's a team that can and should probably hang with this Chiefs team. Like they are good enough to do so. So this is kind of the last one. And that right there is week 13. So moving on to week 14. Got a divisional opponent. Divisional games are still tough. Not trying to say that those aren't and that they don't have other tough games here. But this brings on the very first week. This is going to be at the Denver Broncos. We have not talked about the Broncos yet. Week 14 is the first time that we get to see the fighting Russell Wilsons here. I mean, I mean I'll dive into quality of the roster here. This is... <laughs> I... I liked this roster a lot. Like I, we talked last year a lot about how this roster is a quarterback away from being ridiculously good. Um, Russell Wilson is a quarterback. He's certainly an upgrade over what they've had in the previous couple of years, but I don't know at this point, it remains to be seen how, how he's going to tilt the field, like how that's going to change things. I can see, a situation where Russell Wilson steps in and this team is very good and very potent on offense. But I do kind of look at the rest of it. There are questions on the offensive line. They just lost Tim Patrick, a guy that I was a massive fan of. Just lost Tim Patrick there. Jerry Judy so far in camp. Lots of clips of him dropping balls. Like, I, I, I don't know if we're going to see more of that this season. I hope not. He's a guy that I, I'm a big fan of. Just, you know, he could do it against the Chiefs, but just not anywhere else. And then, you know, the defense has some pieces, but, like, what are they going to look like with without the, the mastermind behind some of their really good defenses lately? The more I look at this roster, the more questions I have about various positions of it. And this late in the season, there's going to be so much tape on them. Like, they're not going to be able to save stuff to try and beat the Chiefs. They're not going to be able to have all that stuff. So Andy's going to get, a full game prep on a divisional opponent this late in the season, Andy and Spags both. I, I just don't know that now that I'm looking at it, the quality of the roster itself, you know, it's certainly not in the Bengals tier. It's certainly not in any of those other AFC teams that I've mentioned or any of the other NFC teams that we've talked about earlier. I just start to look at this a little bit more, and I, I don't love the roster as much as maybe I used to, Maddie. It, it's tricky, right? Because I, I look through the roster and I can pinpoint position groups that I think are really, really good to, you know, towards, you know, some upper parts. Of the, like before the Tim Patrick injury, the wide receiver room was obviously very good. Like that's oh, a man. really good one, yeah. two, three with, with Sutton, Patrick, and then Judy rounding that out as the third. And then like you look on the defensive side, they're secondary. It's a, it's a quality. Patrick Sertan's a stud. Mm -hmm. Ronald Darby has been relatively good for them. Like it's a good secondary as well. When you have Justin Simmons back, like, they have certain position groups that I do think push that Bengals here or even maybe a little bit higher, but then you start to poke through and you find some other eh, kind of parts of the roster. Like you start looking at their offensive line. It's the same, essentially the same offensive line that's had some holes in it the past couple of years. Yes. They bring in some guys there with Billy Turner and they're getting Quinn Miners going to play full time there. 
these guys are better than what they've had, but I don't think that anybody's jumping out of their boots to say, oh, wow, look how good this offensive line is going to be. It seems like it's a whole lot of good, but not a lot of great or not a lot of better. And then like the few holes they have, like their linebacker room, mm-hmm. nothing there really you know, sparks you of any fear, whether it's a Josie Jewell, whether, whoever they decide, Baron Browning, if they run them out, there's just, it's guys that belong in the NFL, but I don't know if you're afraid to go up and play with them. And then like the biggest thing of all, this is a game late in the year. Russell Wilson's already done turned into a pumpkin by now. So like, now you go from <laughs> having this fringe top five quarterback early in the season to having a fringe top 15 quarterback down the stretch. And then we're going to, as we transition now, new offense. Like what is Nathaniel Hackett's offense going to look like? The last time we saw just a true, this is Nathaniel Hackett's offense. It was the Jacksonville Jaguars and the mm-hmm. Blake Boyles, the Leonard Fournette, and it was based around the run game. And I think that's something they're going to try to do in Denver. Like, I really do think it's going to be as much as Russell Wilson, I think, wanted to get away from the run game and basing out of there. The only time that we know Hackett's been in full control, it's been a lot of run game stuff. And even if you look at what Green Bay did, I know a lot of it was LaFleur's offense, but Hackett was there. It was still based a lot out of the run game and a lot out of play action. And I just, I think it'll work in Denver. I think they have the right pieces with their running back room, but I don't know if year one is the time you're going to come in. Hackett's going to bring in this quote unquote new offense. that's going to get everybody excited. And is that excitement going to carry in after a few bad weeks? What does that do to this locker room? Are you have this locker room that's had a stagnant offense for a few years now. And then you're looking back and like, okay, well that Blake Bortles Jaguars team kind of fell flat after one or two good year after the one good year with Hackett. The Green Bay offense, very good with Aaron Rodgers, but it also became Aaron Rodgers, go save us. Is their plan going to be a Russell Wilson, go save us? Because that's the case. I think the guy's a good half decade away or, you know, beyond being able to go save them. So I like that addition of Nathaniel Hackett as a head coach. I just don't know if on year one, he's going to hit the ground running. I don't know if he is ready for that step right now. And I don't know if we have enough information about what his style of offense is going to look like. I don't know if he got the best coordinator group or assistant coaching group to go along with it, to kind of help push it forward. It does help that they have good backs. I think that's the other, that's the, the part on offense that I look at and I'm like, man, you know, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, that's a hell of a tandem. Like you at least got that. They got to lean on the run game a little more. You at least got that. I'm looking at the defensive side. You got Ijero, Ivero. Um, he came, he came from Los Angeles, the Rams, you know, so he spent some time in a Fangio defense. Like he, he is born from that. So it's not like they've got this Fangio personnel and now all of a sudden you're switching to a completely different defense and all that. No, it makes sense that they did a good job. I actually think that that's a smart hire for them because they're not having to reinvent the wheel there, but it's the first time as a defensive coordinator. I you know, we do these, we talk about this all the time. It is, overwhelming to be hit with some of that game day prep and to have to do it and especially when you get late in the year and you've been grinding through everything and there's more tape to cover there's more things to do and you haven't seen Andy Reid regularly as a defensive coach it is hard as hell to prepare for that offense so they're going to see him twice in a very short span of time at the end of the season. And this first one is going to be tough. It, it just, it's legitimately going to be tough. I think that they could click. I think this defense could be one that does play pretty well off the bat because again, you're, you're not having to reinvent the wheel there, but there he's got a lot on his plate all season long. And now when the grind is really hitting and things are really tough, you got to walk in, you know, here, here in December and try and play against Andy Reid in December. Like, woof. That's just a tough draw for them. I, it just kind of remains to be seen how he's going to handle some of that stuff. Let's I, talk about I, it. I, yeah, now, go I got to see. Here's the thing this is what happens when you get Craig and us together. We, we got to <laughs> go down this little conceptual thing here. How long has. So, Vic Fangio was doing the Vic Fangio too high defense obviously for a while now, but he was kind Uh of one of one or one of very few playing this style of defense all the time. So the NFL lets that go. It's now become mainstream. Like it's now become the thing that everybody does. How much longer do you think that is going to be flummoxing NFL offenses? Because I'm going to, I'm thinking back to the last time we had this big transition 
it was the Seattle Seahawks style of cover three. And I'd say mm-hmm. the Seahawks were really good with it for what, about five years? Roughly oh, buddy, you're, you're right years. up my alley. Yes, it was about <laughs> six, seven years that they were really, and then everybody in the NFL was also copying cover three for, for a number of years after that, but yes. Right, yeah, so like the Seahawks were probably really good with it for like a total of six, seven years, but like it probably caught fire after year three, after year four, which is about where I think we have gotten with this kind of too high structure. But mm-hmm. teams, Seattle was one of the last teams to really still hold on strong to that cover three and still make it work. Not a lot of other teams had the same level of success as they did with this. Like, are we nearing that point where this too high structure or thing is so, or not convoluted, but like so widespread across the NFL, the NFL offenses are about to start tearing it up like they do do cover three when teams base out of it? Yes. <laughs> if we're there, if we're there, is Ejiro Evero the guy you want to be manning that defense? I don't know very much about what he's done because it hasn't been mm-hmm. a wide, not a ton of experience. It's just, is that the name you want at the top of the list when thirty-two team or thirty-two teams are sitting here preparing for twenty-eight other teams to play this same style of defense? Is he the guy you want to be adding the wrinkles and coaching it up? Like, I don't know, but like, mm-hmm. I feel like we're kind of there. Well, and I mean, yeah, as I've been doing this too high structure stuff, like I get to the Fangio stuff and I'm looking at it and I'm like, I mean, this is all stuff that teams know how to beat. Teams know how to do it. They, they, they do a good job of disguising everything to the last minute, which is the, the real key there. And I mean, the thing that I put when I covered the Fangio thing for KCSN daily, the substack, kcsn.substack.com, the thing that I covered there was I just said, run the damn ball. Like that's, I mean, that's you want to knock a team out of it, run the damn ball because it, it's predicated on not caring about the run. It's hard to not care about the run as a defensive coordinator, especially a young one, when a team is running it down your throat. Yes, the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. Yes, he should touch the ball as often as possible. I fully agree. Passing is better, but you know what the best way to get a team that wants to play too high, wants to have that late rotation, wants to do all that, they tip their hand a lot sooner. You force them to do things a lot sooner, which makes it easier on Patrick Mahomes to throw the ball if they don't want to be as deep in their too high structure or as late into the snap because you've got lighter boxes, you've got an offensive line you can lean on, you're going to run the ball. I think we are seeing teams build up offensive lines that are – built to run a little more power, built to run some of this stuff, and backs that are built to catch the ball and still be able to run some of this between-the-tackle stuff. I mean, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a guy like that. Vic Fangio and Brendan Staley, to a lesser degree, have run this defense ridiculously well. They have, and now it's all over the league. So everybody's running it. The Chiefs have been preparing for that Fangio defense for a long time. Andy has his beaters in there and has had them for a long time. I agree with what they did by hiring Evero into this position. I think it's a good hire because of the consistency and all of that. But Evero, unless he comes out and lights the world on fire, is probably not going to have a better game plan, probably not going to have a better approach than any of these other guys that Andy has still been able to figure out and still be able to put on tape. If other teams want to keep spinning off of this defensive style and doing more of this, I am fine with it because I truly believe that the Chiefs offense and Andy Reid will be able to figure it out. Once they start putting more of that stuff on tape, good luck because then every other team is going to copy it. And then like Maddie said, it's just like the Seattle cover three. You're going to have Dallas trying to, play with Chris Richards down there and playing that cover three and all of that. And then everybody's talking about how terrible the defense is because teams figured it out. That's, mm-hmm. that's what happens. I mean, Gus Bradley's still trotting out that same cover three defense oh, right now. And man, he's getting walloped and Gus Bradley's not a bad defensive coordinator with the way that he teaches that cover three. It's just, Everybody knows how to beat it. So, yes, I agree, Maddie. I think that everybody... How many more years does it have? How many more years are is NFL game day or whatever they call that show anymore going to lead with this too high structure is flummoxing the league right now? Like, how many more, more. years do we have before it's two more. before it's blown up to nothing? Okay, I, think, I think two more. I think two more because yeah. I, think the D, I think we're about to see a little bit of resurgence in the next couple of years, and then... Then there'll be a new hotness that comes along, and we'll be talking about how it's the best thing ever and all of right. that. 
And then people right. are going to realize it's just a 3-4 defense. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's <laughs> just a 3-4 th- <laughs> it's oh, it. defense, only the athletes got better, so you can actually trust your outside linebackers to drop <laughs> and cover the number three. That's 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 what it'll be. Jeez. <laughs> just a novel concept there. Okay. All right, uh, <laughs> now that we did that for a long time, new addition, I'm going to... I'm going to start with this. It's Russ. It's Russell Wilson. Um, Let's ride. Let's ride. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I think, you know, everybody knows who Russ is. But at this point, Russell Wilson hasn't had a game where he threw for more than 300 yards in like the latter half of the season since, I mean, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking 2019, like, and it was week nine of 2019. I guess he did have one in week nine of 2020 as well. But most of the games after that, like there are some real duds in here, 121 yards, 206 yards, throwing a lot of interceptions, things like that. Like Maddie talked about turn into a pumpkin. You just don't look as good. It's not as precise it's not as crisp and you can talk about how this broncos offense he's stepping into is going to be good and maybe it's better than the seahawks offense but he wasn't throwing to scrubs he was throwing to dk metcalf and tyler lockett like it's not like he was throwing to guys that can't catch the ball that can't get open now he's coming into this offense now he's got to go up against all these new teams that he's playing each and every week i i look at russ and i don't know i don't see him finishing the season well again and i think there might be some buyer's remorse once they get towards the very very end of the season might be looking at it going man did we miss the playoffs again with this quarterback was this the right move to give up all of those assets for so uh, it's russ for me they're gonna live and die by him uh yeah i mean that's the obvious one i'm gonna go Randy Gregory, I think that the Broncos pass rush last year was really, really bad, especially when Bradley Chubb was hurt. But they've had some issues over the years that Bradley Chubb and Von Miller were rarely healthy together or rarely healthy enough to be as impactful as they wanted to be together. And that really did stall out Fangio's style of defense. They were still a really good defense, but it matters when you don't have those two edge guys coming off the sides or if you don't have a dominant interior pass rusher to pair with one of them. So just getting... Similar style of defense, again, here where it's coming from, they need to get a more consistent pass rush, whether that is Bradley Chubb returning to health. And I don't know if he's ever going to be a dominant edge rusher in the NFL, so you could even throw him into like my next category of player to watch. Like It's a big year for him. But like these, this defensive end combo, how good are they going to be? Are they going to be good? Are they going to be great? Are they going to be competing with the Raiders and the Chargers in terms of dominating the, you know, the division with their speed rush off the edge? Or are they just going to be good? Are they going to be a nuisance that you have to pay attention to going in, but you're not worried about them wrecking the game plan? I think they need them to wreck the game plan. I don't know if Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb are those guys. I just don't know if they're that good. I think they're both probably pretty good complementary rushers to somebody that's dominant. But when they're both just complementary with each other, it can work. A really good defensive coordinator can absolutely make that work. But if this ends up too much, just, hey, you two, go beat the guy across from you, it might not work that well with all these one-on-ones, and their pass rush might seem a little lackluster by the end of the year despite the talent that they have across the board. So defensive ends for a new player and my player to watch. Who do you have? Who are you looking forward to watch? And you can't say Patrick Sertan. I'm not going to say Patrick Sertan, even though Patrick Sertan is awesome, (laughs) and I can't wait to watch him. Man, this this division and you know guys that they drafted last year that I really enjoy watching. I'm uh, my guy is Kwan Williams, a guy that I really liked. I would have been fine with the Chiefs signing him last offseason, but this team, when they're playing in this Fangio defense, needs a nickel corner that can fit the run. Kwan Williams can. He's a very willing guy in that regard. But we are seeing more teams go to as our buddy Nate Tice calls it the power slot. Big guy operating out of the slot. We were there in camp. Guess what we saw out of the slot? Big guy operating out of the slot. Whether it be Juju, MVS, even Sky Moore is a bigger guy, like solid guy out of the slot. K1 Williams is going to have his hands full all season long with what they're going to ask him to do. He's got to play really well. He's got to play well above his height like he has this entire career. I just think that maybe the types of receivers that they're putting in the slot now that offenses are trying to go to is going to make his job a lot harder this season so i i got my eye on him here 
All right, real quick, how's this team beat the Chiefs, Maddie? Ooh, um, this is this is one that I have a little bit harder time. Um, I think then I think there's a lot of Chiefs fans that are scared of this team. I think there's a lot of Chiefs fans that look at the Broncos, they see some names that are recognizable, rightfully so, and they get a little scared and they think it's going to be close. I think a lot of things have to go right for this Broncos team to beat the Chiefs. I think that Hackett, I think that Evero have to come out almost with something not brand new, but new enough that the Chiefs are completely unready for it. How you're doing that at what are we looking at? Like week 13 here, week 14 here? Like how are you doing that that late in the season? I don't know, but I almost feel like you have to catch the Chiefs off guard to win with the differences in the roster. You have to get Russell Wilson playing at his absolute A game. Jerry Judy has to be better than he has been in the NFL. Like he's been a fine wide receiver, but he's got to take that step and be really good to allow that offense to work. So like I, I don't see a very good path for this team being the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs match up really well against them. I think a rookie coaching staff plus the Russell Wilson kind of floundering over the past few years and where the holes on this Broncos team are, it would be very difficult if the coaching staff doesn't come up just essentially with something new out of the gate. It's got to be the weapons. Weapons got to take over. Those backs got to just take over, play well above what you know what they even can. All those weapons got to take over I, because they're going to have to score. I think they're going to have to score to keep up. I think they're going to have to score to beat what Andy will have dialed up there. So fully down to individual efforts from those guys, I don't think a game plan is going to do it. I, I just don't. I don't. All right. My non-Mahomes MVP here is going to be Frank Clark. Frank Clark looked great in camp so far this year. Um, he He looks lighter. He looks more nimble. He looks better moving. Like I think we're going to see a good version of him and he's going up against Garrett Bowles and Billy Turner, who aren't bad tackles by any means. But Frank Clark, the way that he's looked with the explosion that he has on the outside, I feel like this is one of those games that Frank Clark can show up and make a bunch of plays, especially as Russell Wilson likes to drop deeper, hold on to the ball, trying to hit some of those guys deep, deep into their route there. Just going to give Frank Clark a little bit of extra time on the outside to go out there, take over game, get some pressures, get a couple of sacks, and really turn the tide on this one. I alluded to it. I think the Broncos' defensive ends are going to be kind of the key to how their season goes. So when they go up against the Chiefs, obviously Travis Kelsey's performance against the Broncos is going to be the key. Since Fangio took over with this style of defense, it's kind of been every other game Travis Kelsey's been dominant or shut down. It's really almost depended kind of on the game flow, but that style of defense that we're talking about here that we assume the Broncos are going to run again can do a good job of shutting down Kelsey working over the middle of the field. When you have one safety spinning down late from wherever, whichever side they decide, it can easily take away some of those middle of the field routes. It seems like the Chiefs have had a hard time pegging that down with Fangio. Will that be the same case with the new defensive staff there in Denver? I think Denver has a couple safeties that are willing to make it difficult for Kelsey, but that linebacker group is so bad. I mm -hmm. would not be surprised to see Kelsey tear them apart when given the opportunity, go over 100 yards like he used to do to Denver before Fangio got there every single game they played. You, you don't think that Travis remembers the, the way that he was hit last year in these Broncos that, that was the first game. That was the first game, uh -huh. though, right? And then uh -huh. the second game came back, and that was when he had his good game. That was when he went, yeah. I think, for a hundred ish years. Oh, he still, uh, he still remembers. He still remembers. Oh no, no, right. he didn't. Do, no, he didn't do much in the next game either. Actually, that, but that was the end uh -huh. of the year. They were only like half going at it. That's right. But gotcha. it was, yeah, every other year before Fangio, it's just been every other game. He had a huge game and then a quiet game. I just, I don't trust this defense to shut him down without Fangio right now. That's true. I'm with him there. I'm with him there. And stick with us. We're going to take a small break here. We will be back to break down the final two unique Chiefs opponents of the season. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are back. If you like what we're doing here, click the like button, click the share button, click subscribe, drop us a five-star review. Some of you guys have been dropping five-star reviews. We thank you. Click we everything. Those. Click. Those are click, great, click, click, click. Click, click, click. You got your mouse. You got your hand on your mouse. Just direct it where you need to right now. Just just work your way through all those things. We'll be here for you. All right, Maddie. We are 42 minutes into this podcast. We have been going for a little while here, and I purposefully suggested that we do these last two teams, even though it meant that it was going to be, you know, four teams. And typically we do two and we do about an hour. These two teams, it is hard to do a full episode on with the way that everything is. Be- I- I'll be honest, I'll fall on that sword. This is the Seattle Seahawks and the Houston Texans are the next two, or you know, it's the Texans and the Seahawks, but like saving the best for last. Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm going to start and just kind of make a blanket statement about both these teams. The quality <laughs> of the roster for both of these teams is not very good I, I we'll we'll start here with the texans they don't have a ton of weapons i mean brandon cooks might be the best wide receiver in the afc south but man that's not saying much um he's still a good receiver he's really good it, it's it's just not saying much and then you look at the defensive side of the ball and you just wonder where all this is coming from i mean currently like they're they're looking at starting eric murray and steven nelson in this secondary right now like there's there's a lot of questions. Where's the pressure going to come from? Where's the who the linebackers? Are they going to be able to play well? Like, are they going to be able to keep Davis Mills upright all season long? I mean, where is the where are the plays coming from? I mean, they're just it's not good, Maddie. I mean, it's not good. It's not a good quality of roster. Reading this defensive depth chart in particular reads Ugh. like. When we do the KCSN draft guide, it reads like if you sort by the lowest scores that we've given any player since we started. Like if I just lumped everyone together and sorted by the lowest scores, the amount of day three and undrafted free agent names that I recognize just from the last three years of the NFL draft on that are starting or listed as like key backups on this defensive depth chart is insane. Like it is yeah, they have some talent. We're just, we don't even have to split this up into different segments. Jalen Petrie, Derek Stingley, two rookies that are stepping out into the secondary. Very fun to watch. Those guys could be a ton of fun. That's where I'm going to oh, keep yes. my eyes when I do watch this team. I think those two guys could be very special. The problem is they're going to have to cover guys for 18 seconds. So a yeah. Jonathan Grenard and, Chris, and, and Malik Collins and Roy Lopez and Mario Addison can get home like – where are they getting pressure? Like, okay, no, we'll just blitz. You're going to blitz at Garrett Wallow or Christian Kirksey who can barely move anymore. Like, where are you going to get pressure with this team? You're putting a lot of pressure on the few players on this team, Stingley and Petrie, that have a little bit of talent on the back end. So, like, it's going to be hard for, I think, this team to find a lot of success. And they're clearly in a long-term rebuild. And the defensive side of the ball, oddly enough, looks even worse, which is kind of surprising for a lovey. Like, you think if you're bringing back a defensive-minded coach, you might give him a little bit more talent to work with on defense? They said no. The offense isn't a lot better, but at least like we mentioned, Brandon Cooks, you got Davis uh, Sorry, <clears throat> Davis Mills, who was very good last year for a rookie quarterback, and you got some guys on the offense, Laramie Tunzel. I know, long, like a thick neck. Just thick. <laughs> um, but they got some t- I don't know. It's... It's a weird roster. They're clearly in a rebuild, and the defense is one of the worst rosters I've ever witnessed. It's it's wild. I mean, and here's the funny part. They spent a top-five pick on Derek Stingley. They spent a high-draft pick on Jalen Petrie. They spent a third-rounder on Christian Harris. Like, these aren't people that we dislike. Like, they're they're fine players, but they're it. Like <laughs> that, those are by far their best three defensive players. So. And they haven't taken a snap yet. And then you turn around, yeah, on offense. Yeah, they spent another first round pick on Kenyon Green. I like Kenyon Green. He's a good, fine foundational piece, but he's a left guard. And uh, there's only so many things that you're going to be able to do. And when your wide receiver core is Nico Collins, Brando Cooks, and then 
Philip Dorsett, Chris Conley, Chris Moore. I mean, it, it really kind of falls off a cliff. And Goodness. it's not even like they've got a really good running back room. Marlon Mack is fine. Rex Burkhead is fine. But it's like the rest of this. Like, I think their ceiling is fine at the positions that you're looking at guys and you're like, oh, okay, well, those are some of your better positions. Like, it's fine. And so, like, even the new additions, the players to watch, there's just not a whole lot to watch here outside of maybe Davis Mills. Like, if he does it again with this group, like, we can – yeah, he's legit. Like, we we can go ahead and call him a good quarterback, a guy that they can build around, the guy that they don't need to go out and try and find a replacement for. But it really does feel like, once again here, that they are saying, yep, we are just going to go ahead and rebuild. And we're now going to be in year three of the rebuild after this season. And yikes, uh, the roster quality, this is not great. Maddie, do you want to talk about this coaching staff a little bit? I mean, um, well, first we're doing a quick game. I'm going to name three players that have been drafted in the last three years that are listed as starters from the Texans. I just want you to tell me what school that these guys went to. Okay, Barrow Brown, a tight end. Who? <laughs> Barrow Brown, a tight end. Oh my goodness! I, I at least recognize the name. Uh, wasn't he from the Northwest? Is he like yeah? That's that's, like that's correct. Twelve guy. Okay, that's correct. Oregon. I couldn't tell I you half school. a point. Half a point for Oregon. Okay, that's good. Okay, good. Roy Lopez, a nose tackle. Roy Lopez. I remember Roy Lopez. He was packed. Was he Arizona? He was. That's a good. That's a good pull. I did not think that when you were doing like a lot of these names like similar. I recognize. I just don't know. This is the easiest one. I just wanted to find one more. Jonathan Grenard. Defensive oh, Jonathan, Jonathan Grenard was uh, was Florida, right? That's, I remember that's that correct. Correctly. So, hey, yes. look yes. at you. You got two and a half oh, points. That's a lot better than I thought you were going to pull off. Because those are some names. Those are some the names. pressure cooker there. I'm and so Jonathan glad that Grenard. I secondary watched your guys um, so, that I, so that I knew Roy Lopez and Jonathan. Jonathan Grenard was at least a senior bowl guy. I, I remember I remember watching right. him. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's, I, um, okay, coaching staff. I like Pep Hamilton. I think it's a good person to, mm-hmm. to bring in for someone like David. I think the Texans would be good to – I like how they are giving Davis Mills another year to see what becomes because did they find one of the rare hits, not in round one at quarterback, that they can use to be their guy that is good enough? Can he be a Ryan Tannehill-level quarterback or Kirk, maybe a little bit better than Kirk Cousins, but like that level mm-hmm. of quarterback – that's good enough that you can just build around him for the next three years, see what the ceiling is going to be before having to go out and trade everything to get a guy. So you give him a year to do that. I think Pep Hamilton is a good offensive coordinator to give him that doesn't have a lot to work with, but at least like we were saying, I think Brandon cooks, Nico Collins has some talent. They have talent ish at running backs with Marlon Mack and Rex Burkhead. They have guys that can do things. Um, he has just enough, and then I think Tunzel, Green, Justin Britt, give you AJ Can, give you a solid enough offensive line. Pep Hamilton should be able to run his offense there and give Davis Mills a chance to prove that he can be the guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I like some of the, I like Lovey. I, I think Lovey's a good coach. I think that he does well with defensive coaching. So I don't know about you know head coach or anything like that, but like it, it, I look at a lot of this and I just see a lot of guys where. I I like that they went maybe a little younger with their coaching staff. I, I think a lot of these guys are giving themselves a lot of swings at developing guys. Maybe that's a lovey initiative there, but I really like the amount of swings that they spent there. I'm with Maddie. I, I think Pep Hamilton is a really good coach. It just it, not a lot of talent for these guys to coach. So I, it's it's just it's kind of rough to watch here. I, okay, Maddie, how does how does this team beat the Chiefs? <laughs> no. Um, next, yeah. no, Th- yeah, this is I'm, just a hard I'm, no. Like, the only way they win is if the Chiefs absolutely positively implode and play their worst game. Like, and sure. when I say teams don't have a chance, I'm like obviously excluding that. Like, in terms of if both teams are playing, even if they're average or if the Chiefs play average, I don't see how the Texans even come close to competing. I mean, Brandon Cooks goes 400 yards, like, that's uh, that's kind of the way it is, and Derek Stingley gets cloned and they put him all over the secondary <laughs> it's tough this is just one of those like here at the end of the season it's week 15 the chiefs are going to be humming the texans are probably going to be out of everything like they they will they, they're not going to be a ton for them 
to play for and like it's just going to be I, I think you're going to see a lot of these guys that are going to know it. They're going to be protecting themselves a little bit. And I think this is going to be one might end up being a little closer than we all want it to be because of all of that. But like, I just, this team is unfortunately not one that can hang with it. Do we even need to do an MVP here, Maddie? I mean, it's Travis Kelsey because I Garrett Wallow's on the field. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it's going to be, Oh, let's call it Turk Wharton. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with the defensive side of the ball there. Turk Wharton. Turk is going to get a lot of reps in the dime in this game. <laughs> a lot of reps to get after Davis Mills. I think we're going to see the starters pulled a little bit early. Turk's going to get in there and get a lot of reps. He's looked, he looked pretty good in camp so far. So uh, give the man a shout out here. All right. Now let's move on to the final unique opponent. Week 16 here. Seattle Seahawks. I mean... Manny, quality of the roster here. It is better than the Texans. I, I think we can it, agree. It, it is. is. Yeah. I'm going to speed run them a little bit. We, we're going late on time. Yeah. And, and it's maybe a little unfair to the Seahawks to not give them a little bit more time than this. But at the same time, this is definitely a step back from the kind of roster overall talent that they have had through most of this run with Pete Carroll. Like they're, they still have not figured out the offensive line. Now they went out and addressed it by drafting Charles Cross. Abraham Lucas, I think, should probably hopefully earn that right tackle spot for them. They brought in Gabe Jackson recently. Like they have brought in guys. They've tried to address the offensive line, but I don't know if I'm ready to say it's great as of yet. Their wide receiver with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, clearly good. The problem is who's playing quarterback? Geno Smith, Drew Locke. Should be Geno. It should be Geno Smith. Let me be very clear. Geno Smith, as bad as he has been, you know, compared to the hype, he should start over Drew Locke. Their issue is defensively. This is not a Seahawks defense. Like, it's just, it's a collection of guys that haven't really worked out is essentially the best way. It's a collection of players that have, whether they've drafted or they've signed it free agents that haven't been as good as everyone thought they were going to be. And that's odd to see from the Seahawks. It's not Seahawks guys. It's not not their talent, the caliber of guys. So like, it's, that's where the issue for this team, it's better than the Texans, but it's still a collection of guys that I think have generally underperformed the hype that fans or media have put on them with previous teams or the Seahawks in the past. I want you to put some respect on Puna Ford's name. Um, I will not stand for Puna Ford disrespect here. But this same man. thing, as a rookie, he everybody got really hyped because he was a lot better than an undrafted free agent should have been. And then he just kind of has been that He's guy, been but there. not quite He's as good. Just- yeah, <laughs> it's just like the hype peaked and then he just never went anywhere. He's fine. He's fine to have on the roster. But I mean, like, and just everybody, all these guys they have, I'm Justin Coleman, Artie Burns, Jamal Adams. Like these are guys who had certain levels of hype throughout their career. They didn't reach them. They end up on the Seahawks and now they've just all ended up there together. And see, the funny part is, is I can look at this team. They have Trey Brown on this team, a guy that I freely liked last year. And Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen as two new guys. We're going to talk a little bit about new additions there. Like there's there's a chance by this point in the season with the Seahawks maybe you know being out of the running for a lot of this stuff. Which with Geno and Drew Locke as your quarterback, it's it's going to be tough to hang with a good NFC West there. Like they may be out of the running. They may be giving some of these young guys some run. Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen, Quandre Diggs, and Jamal Adams. That's you know, if they're playing well, like that's <laughs> that's at least a secondary that I'm semi excited about. Like I can look at it and say, yeah, I can see where those guys might end up being okay, where they might end up being a little bit better. Jordan Brooks has been better than I think that I thought he was going to be, but he's still not a stud by any means. And the guys playing next to him are not great. Uh, they don't have a pass rush. They don't have. You know, LJ Collier still in this rotation. <laughs> like it, I mean, like we're 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 still looking at guys like that and saying, well, they're going to play some serious snaps. So, it, it the path to success here to just kind of roll right into how does this team beat the Chiefs? Like the path to success is that you have to put points on the board because this defense. I don't. Uh, Pete Carroll is going to have to pull a rabbit out of the hat to make this defense, re- you know, really good. And I don't see it. And so they're going to have to score a ton of points with Geno Smith or Drew Locke at quarterback. I mean, they certainly got DK and Tyler are great. They really are great. But 
boy, that's a lot to put on a guy that hasn't shown it to date. So this is another one for me. I look at this and I'm like, I just don't, I don't see how this team can hang with not just the Chiefs, but pretty much any of the above average teams that are in the league. One of the tricks that I think they run into is even you were mentioning like they have some young guys and if they start to get them in the Tariq Wollins, the Kobe Bryant's in there and you pair them with Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs, you just fed me a lineup that I think would fit best for the old school Seattle Seahawks cover three and nothing else. The problem is that's not what they want to play anymore though. They started shifting away from it a little bit last year. And I think Pete Carroll's come out and talked about it. Now I don't know a ton about Clint hurt, but like, I don't think that he is basing his entire defensive structure on cover three. So like now I'm picturing, unless they're going to return to that, which they very well might, but if you're going to put, whether it's Woolen or Artie Burns or Sidney Jones or Kobe Bryant, if you're going to have these guys out there playing full on man coverage or doing more stuff or God forbid, Jamal Adams trying to cover anybody, like all of a sudden this stuff looks really, really ugly. If you don't limit the scheme they can be in, we already touched on how the pass rush maybe isn't going to be great. I will defend this. LJ Collier has at least been like designated to the backup strong side defensive end for them which is essentially like never playing like he is not a pass rushing role for them they have a linebacker that plays out over this strong defensive end so like he's barely rushing a pass so he's just there to be a big linebacker is darrell taylor like it's that's a second round draft pick darrell taylor to you thank you lj collier was a first round pick like let's uh, and then alton robinson is behind like again you look at all these boy mafia you chin in wosu you know that's true boy boy i might end up being okay they hide their linebacker room instead of their defensive end room it's weird on their depth chart i get it i'm with you i don't think this team has a great path to being the chiefs i do think if things break right for them, they could maybe be semi-competitive for an average Chiefs game. If Geno Smith or Drew Locke have the game of their lives and they're really dealing, if this offensive line is gelling by this time, they have the wide receiver weapons. They have the talented enough running back room with Kenneth Walker joining you know, uh, Rashad Penny there, who had a fantastic stretch down the stretch season performance. They could put up some points on a Chiefs defense that I think will be gelled a little bit by then. But if the Chiefs come out and play a C level game i think there's enough talent around the quarterback the problem is you're still relying on drew lock and geno smith to really get those points going at the end of the day though i don't see where this defense does stop the chiefs like that's i'm with you there i think it's going to be hard for this defense to really slow down the chiefs or most teams i think it's again a collection of guys that are, are not have not will not live up to the hype that the seahawks put on them or that other teams had put on them when they acquired them i think that it's just it's gonna be a below average defense all year and when you have drew lock and geno smith at quarterback you can't do that you can't afford that uh non mahomes mvp for me joshua williams lining up against dk metcalf length on length has a good Mm. game and builds some hype going into the playoffs for the chiefs you know here in, in late in the season so i'd go with josh williams Ooh, ah, uh, it's a tough one. Like you could pick a lot of different players. I, I was intrigued to go with an offensive tackle because they have to block uh, Jamal Adams rushing off the edge on third down. So you know he's not going to cover. He's going to step down and play defensive end. I was going to pick Willie Gay to shut down Noah Fant like every other linebacker in the NFL has done since Noah Fant has joined the NFL. But I'm going to have to go with Travis Kelsey as we get on out of here. And we have rounded off the season long preview Whew. for the Chiefs. This is. Every unique opponent the Chiefs will play this year has now been previewed. The good news is we will get far more in-depth with every single one of these teams the week <laughs> the Chiefs play them, and that starts in about a month now, so that's fun. Can you can you imagine not just us, but the, the Mats, Matt Castle, Matt Hamilton, just being like, this team stinks. We'll catch you next week at the end of when Listen, we get to the end I, of the season. I, you know, I, I'm not going to put any specific words in there, but I have been on video calls with certain people of, of the Matt's caliber that have said, boy, this team sure isn't good <laughs> before <laughs> or after a game. So, you know, it exists. They're just, they're it just does. like us. It does. It does. They just, just around this out week 17 chiefs host the Broncos and then they travel to Las Vegas to finish out the season. Two free wins. Two free wins. This the end of the season is definitely a lot easier on the Chiefs than the beginning is. It's a nice way to go into the playoffs there. That's gonna do it for this week's edition of the KC Laboratory. I thank Maddie for joining me. I thank y'all for listening to all.
all the way through all of this stuff. Stay tuned. We got all kinds of stuff from KCSN every single day. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're listening. Stay as up to date as possible. And we'll catch you later. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.